So I want to tell you about one of my scariest moments in adolescence. Um, I went to a uh, Christian school, a uh, somewhat fundamentalist Christian school. We had chapel services every week. Um, I mean, more than that, we had praise breaks as well, in which you all had to leave. Hidden sin is. Now, a 14-year-old boy in a fundamentalist Christian school, you can imagine all kinds of hidden sins I'm imagining. And... I slouched so deeply in my seat. I remember being in about the fourth row and imagining like, oh, dear God, I wish I was further back. I'm basically lying on the floor because I don't want this guy to see me and be like, this young man right here, let me tell you about his sins. I didn't know at the time whether or not he was telling the truth, whether that was a real thing, but I was not about to risk it. Um, it was hard enough to be 14. Now, to be clear, I don't think that's a real thing. I don't think that's a thing that God does, has ever done, or will ever do. That is a horrifying thing. Um, but let me tell you how much that put the fear of God in my heart. For a lot longer than it probably should have. Even later on in life, when I've, when I've thought about it and I've been like, nah, I don't think that's true. I think he was making that up. He's, he's, doesn't really happen. That's still in the back of my mind to this day from time to time. And the place that it manifested itself most clearly was in seminary. Because there were times in seminary, it's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of work and a very stressed out. And man, it would be easier to use my textbook on this online exam. It would be a lot easier if I made up an excuse about a family emergency to get an extension on my paper so that I would have longer to finish it. But in my mind, I'm 14 years old and I'm like, God is going to snitch on me and tell my seminary professor that I cheated. Right? Because, of course they would. It's a seminary professor. They're the holiest people in the world. They have special connections to God. And if anybody is going to know my secret sins, it's going to be a seminary professor. So that is the reason I didn't cheat in seminary, by the way. It's not because of my great moral compass or because I'm just so good and honest, but it was the lingering fear that God was going to snitch on me is the reason why I didn't cheat in seminary. So this is your pastor, friends. <sighs> now that being said, I didn't cheat at all in Palmer Seminary, where I got my degree, but there was one exception. And that was a class that I absolutely 100% shamelessly lied my way through in seminary. This, by the way, is the very first time I'm telling anyone in the world about this. Well, I told Nicole about it like two days ago, but that was the first time. The class was called Foundations of Evangelism with Dr. John Nyquist at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Now, I was only there for one semester, so I got out before God could snitch on me, but I just couldn't do it. This class, I could not do it for the life of me. Uh, I mean, I could do the normal parts. I could do the reading. I could do the papers. I could do the class participation. All the normal school stuff, I'm great at. That was easy. But 30% of my grade was, quote, field-based evangelism and accountability. As in, 
I had to, on at least three different occasions, approach somebody and evangelize to that person. And then write about it and document how well I did, how well they received it, what I said. Did I ask them for a, uh, to make a decision about accepting Jesus into their heart or whatever? Yeah. Uh, they gave us the out that you could use friends or family, but at least one person had to be an absolute stranger that you met on the street. Now, if you got a hint from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, what kind of school this was. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see some of you uncomfortable in your seats and you didn't even have to do this. <sighs> I mean, I'm kind of an introvert already. Um, and I hate inconveniencing strangers more than anything. I'm that guy who will get the wrong order brought to me at a restaurant and be like, yeah, I don't want to ruin their day. I will just eat this even though I hate it. I will walk an extra three aisles in the store so I don't have to say excuse me to someone in the middle of the aisle. It's worse at Lowe's when I've got a big cart full of wood and I'm like, I need a totally clear aisle because I don't want to inconvenience a single person. So now I'm supposed to walk up to a stranger on the streets of Chicago and say, pardon me, do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? So I straight up invented three different interactions with three different imaginary strangers. I gave them tragic backstories. They had names. There were whole narratives around it. And in it, I made sure, and this is the, this is the wonderful part, I made sure to create an arc for my own personal growth throughout it. So the first imaginary one, I was really timid and I didn't do a very good job. But the second time I could say, I learned from experience last time. And then the third time, the person accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior right there in the subway. And I mean the subway restaurant, not the subway train. <sighs> I was just reading over these papers the other day. I forgot how detailed they were. Yeah. So I'm not proud of this, but I just need you to know how much anxiety and terror fills my heart at the thought of any form of evangelism. Okay? So if you heard the passage today in which Jesus called for his disciples to go out and do this thing, and you too were filled with this unnamed, deep-seated anxiety, know that you are not alone. I think if I were there with Jesus and he said this, go out into uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world and go witness to me, I would have said, ah, is there maybe an office job that I could do to support them? Do you need a social media manager? Like, I don't want to do that thing, Jesus. I am so sorry. I love you very much, but we need to figure a different thing out. And yet here I am standing before you at a microphone talking about Jesus. And so clearly something has changed. And so to that end, I want to draw your attention to two things about this passage that help me to work this out faithfully and hopefully will help you to work this out faithfully without having a constant panic attack or feeling guilty. Number one, Jesus did not say, go out and persuade people to the truth. He did not say, go out and use your immaculate reason 
or some kind of manipulative strategy to go get people to believe the same thing as you. He did not go out and say, go make converts to this new religion that I'm starting, because Jesus didn't start a new religion, by the way. He told them to witness. And that's key. Witness. Witnessing simply means you've experienced something that matters to you, and now you feel... Like it's now your duty to share that with someone. Witnessing is what happens when you have the pork govone sandwich from Tornetta's. And now you need to share it with all of your friends. And you need to send a picture to Lisa after church last week. Oh, that's right. You're a vegetarian. <laughs> It's what happens when you finish a really good book and instead of putting it back on the shelf, you think of that one person that's like, you know who would want this book? And you go find them and you give them that book. That's all it is. Witnessing is not persuasion. It is simply sharing something that has meaning to you with somebody that you think it would have meaning for them. And honestly, I think this was some of my hangout back in seminary because I don't think I had anything good to share. I mean, I went to church. My whole life, I think I've mentioned before, I have never, ever been in a non-Christian school from preschool until I graduated seminary. I've only ever attended Christian schools. I've only ever attended churches. There's pastors up my family tree. It's everywhere. It's inescapable. It is the water that I swim in. It is the air that I breathe. And I did this whole Jesus thing because it's what was handed to me. I mean, I did the Jesus thing in the same way I do English because there is no other option. And I don't think to that point I'd really ever had a truly transformative experience of the divine, something that actually sunk in there and changed me. I really had nothing, but without something to witness to, it felt a little bit like I was simply a telemarketer selling a product that I don't actually use. You know, I'm up here selling you sham wows, and I actually did use ShamWows for a while. They were not bad. I'd never been a part of a church that excited me, um, at least, you know, to the level of the deep dish pizza from Gennaro's, by the way. So good. So witnessing to my spiritual experience felt embarrassing. It felt forced. But then I did experience Christ in this radically transformative and mystically intimate way that to explain to you makes me sound like I should be institutionalized, maybe. Um, it is hard to explain a transcendent experience using everyday words. Prior to that day um, and to all of that that led up to it, I had only ever known God's condemnation, God's anger, God's wrath and disappointment in me. I mean, for decades, I believed that I was a lost cause, that I was a forsaken soul created just to stoke the fires of hell. So when I encountered the blinding light of God's love, I couldn't not talk about it. I absolutely had to write about it, to, to tell people, to uh, write a letter to my old fundamentalist school, letting them know about the grace that I had received and how much 
um, damage their interpretation had done um, to me. I had to witness to the love of God, and I had to witness louder than the voices of condemnation so that no one, no one under my care would ever have to feel the way I did. So we start there. We start in the ways that we have experienced Christ. You think about what wounds have been healed. And who else needs that kind of healing? That's your witness. And if you haven't experienced the divine in that way, if you haven't been fundamentally changed by the ineffable uh, great spirit around us, then let's just start there. You don't need to worry about witnessing to anyone. We can just start there. Get yourself a story that you want to witness to. Because that's what it is. It's all about identifying how this, uh, Christ has changed you and then sharing with others what it has meant to you. Just to you personally. It's not about persuading anyone or changing them or winning converts to your side. It is simply about witnessing to what you have experienced and let that be enough. So that's great. You've got it, right? You've got your own story. You've got your own connection. You know what to share. Now, who do you share it with? Should we be handing out pamphlets to strangers on the street and in the grocery store, inviting the cashier to church? Maybe, if that's your thing. Some people can pull that off. Richard can pull that off. I can't pull that off. (laughs) But if you go back to the passage... Where did Jesus say that his disciples would be his witnesses? He said in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the world. Jerusalem was the city where they currently were standing. It was their immediate people, co-workers, friends, neighbors, and all that. Judea was the province that Jerusalem was in. This was their fellow Jews, people who shared a racial, cultural, religious identity. People like us. Then to Samaria, people who are kind of like us, but different in very important ways. And then the rest of the world, the outer, outer circles. It's this ever-growing series of circles. You start in your most closest intimate places and you work your way outward. So I thought it might be nice to take some time here and practice that. To start now here in the inner circle. What can you witness to? What have you experienced? How have you experienced the divine in a way that has mattered? How have you been changed in ways that are both personal and profound? And we'll take a few moments and a few folks who are feeling brave can share. No, not your experience of witnessing, but how Christ has changed you. How you have... You know, in that way, you said, you know, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Well, I don't know what to say. <laughs> so, but that week, lo and behold, I become sick. <laughs> I can't go to school. So at home, I figured, hey, I'll read the Bible, I'll think about this question. And that's what I did. 
then when I returned uh, to, to church and, and uh, he asked me, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I said, yes. And, and I, I felt that uh, uh, inner transformation of receiving Christ and, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and uh, within about three months after that, uh, instead of becoming a professional acrobatic performer for the rest of my life, uh, I uh, felt called into the ministry. And uh, then I had to uh, take up courses during the summer, you know, qualify for college, which I never wanted to go to. Never wanted to go to college. I had to finish four years of college and three years of seminary, and you know the deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's. Uh... My dad just shared that as well in a in a, that finding the living word in the written word when you are reading scripture and it just kind of comes alive in a way that's in which you're encountering the living word within this written word that can be profound anyone else specific experience like like you I was raised like very much all things church Christian school and all of that and took it for granted found meaning in it but also had a lot of questions and issues and uncertainties and I felt like I kind of had to like I, I, I was very drawn to it like I had this need for certainty which is completely um, at least for me um, and so I went through different iterations of like do I want to stay a Christian or can like can I? I want to, but I also feel like the box that I knew of Christianity was so narrow. Um, and so for me, I, I don't I didn't have a transcendental experience, but I had a a sense of realizing that the the meaning and the grounding aspect of Christianity, especially as I my box got bigger. I just did not have the boundaries, the tight need for like figuring everything out that I did. I stayed because of the the, the beauty I saw in it. Like the the way that it, it framed out all of like life and meaning in life and the fuel that it gave to the draw I had toward justice and the draw I had toward advocacy. Like there's a, a sense in which I realized like this is such an important part of it's almost like the glue that holds it became valuable and sustainable in a way that it wasn't before. So and that's where I will struggle too with the, the witness and I did the witnessing thing. I did that after school and I and I did it. I did like I knocked on doors or did whatever. And it never was like it's total salesman crap that you're like, how do you, okay, just, I never liked it. I never did more of it than I had to. Um, and I, I also was able to accept as my boundaries widened that it doesn't have to look like that. And in many contexts, it absolutely should not look like that because that is not, it does not work. And, and especially so young in my life, but what I, I didn't. It wasn't natural. It was completely unnatural and forced. So, anyway, so a little of my backstory. 
think of a lot of people, like people and examples of faith and ways that they lived out their faith. <clears throat> One of the first ones being a guy named Shane Claiborne, who is a mover and a shaker in Philadelphia. And so much of his faith um, was a very evangelical understanding of theology, but also that if it didn't have anything to do with the world around him, that it was meaningless. And so he was invested um, in working with uh, folks in, in poverty and made them his, like, his neighbors. He put his feet where his heart also was, right? So he did has done crazy things like throwing a bunch of money from the top of a building in Philadelphia to like protest against you know it was it was New York it was Wall Street on Wall Street yes so it was money that they won from fighting uh, the Philadelphia law against feeding the homeless right right like so this these very like innovative and creative ways of, of of witnessing to a Jesus that cares um, for especially folks um, who are struggling and who live on the margins uh, their whole life. Um, I think about you know pastors who have shown me what it looks like not to have you know this kind of sterile way of believing or living their faith, but who like were approachable, who could actually and like not even answer difficult questions, but who could like engage them. Um, I grew up like, don't, don't question things. Don't like, don't, don't have a brain. Um, like, it, it, but I, I met these pastors who were like, well, I wonder what that's about. Like, I wonder if that's true or if that's just an interpretation that somebody had, or um, maybe we can disagree on this. Or, you know, like people who helped me bring my whole self as opposed to like the parts that were pleasing or that would make people feel like I was doing it right, I guess. Um, so I think in many ways it often came from witnessing other people do that. And that kind of thing, that kind of thing, that gets me excited. That's why I want to do what we're doing. That's why, you know, like I, I want what I believe to actually have an impact and mean something. Um, so they were good evangelists. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't knock on my door. They didn't. Um, anyway. There's that quote that is misattributed to um, preach the gospel wherever you go. If use words, if you have to, or something. If necessary, use words. Most of what you guys talked about, I spent my entire life running from. People come to my door, no thank you, don't approach me, you're trying to sell me something, I don't want to talk to any of you. And I grew up Catholic, I didn't know there was anything else, right? Um, so, And I didn't fit in, in the church, in Catholic school, I didn't want any parts of any of it. But I believe there was something else, Jesus, God, so I found it in animals looking at animals. They're God's creatures. They're defenseless and loving. Um, and then the next thing would be being out in nature. God created all that. So that's like, wow, 
right? And then finding the kindness of people in a moment where I spent a long time being afraid that there wouldn't be. Um, and then lead me to here, sitting here, full circle. I don't even like calling this a church, right? <laughs> There's so much that goes with that word that wasn't good. Um, so I found it elsewhere, other than people knocking on doors and the traditional ways. I am not traditional. <laughs> but I still found it, right, just in my own ways. Yeah. Does anybody want to um, call out a thing that stood out to you, that spoke to you in a way? Want the globe. The book's about prioritizing rest. The wooden thing? I don't know what it's called, but like... A reflection in the weekly email about St. Bridget, the, the one who kept giving away all of her... Go find it. Go find it. Her story is so funny. She kept getting uh, sent around to different people because she kept giving away people's stuff. So like she gave away all of her dad's stuff and so he sold her into slavery and then she gave away all of her master's stuff. Like anytime somebody would come to the door asking like, do you have any food? She'd be like, heck yeah. And then she'd go like raid the pantry and give it away. And then she tried to, uh, the guy sent her back to her father and the father was like, I'm going to bring you to the king and you can just live with the, you can be a servant to the king. And while he's bartering a price with the king, she gives away like his priceless dagger or something and the king laughs and he's like this woman belongs in a convent and then she goes and gives away everything the convent has and um but then the miracle that why she's saint is that the stuff always came back like she'd give away all the food but then the next day miraculously there'd be food back again and she has a fun story i think you'd love it anyone else and all the different scriptures because you to me I see it as like you can find your identity through the scriptures or the way that your individualism through the, through the scriptures for each person it, it can mean something different uh, applied to them in different ways For me, I love this little print over on the right of a woman uh, breastfeeding a child. And the text above it says, this is my body, take and eat. Um, this is the, I read last week, the passage from Julian of Norwich about how she compares the, the communion meal to a nursing mother and refers to Mother Jesus, who is... Um, giving of his body to us in, in these ways helped me to understand what this meal means in a way that I hadn't thought of prior. <clears throat> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for being willing to, to talk in front of people, to share a little bit about what has gone on in your heart and in your soul, the things that have mattered to you. Um, so can we pray? <clears throat> 